I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part one of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I speak to Dr. Heather Curry, gynaecologist at Dumfries and Galloway NHS Trust and trustee and past chair of the British Menopause Society and founder and MD of Menopause Matters. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. This is, we've had so many questions. We're going to keep you really busy, I tell you. I can talk all day. It seems that these kind of issues, kind of menopause, sort of gynecological issues and stuff, it seems that this is a really sort of an untapped kind of area. The you know, people that really sort of are being let down, it would see, it would seem, certainly from some of the questions, there seems to be a lot of ignorance amongst medical professionals, actually. I think there's generally a lack of understanding of our own menstrual health and then what happens when our menstruation periods stop. And so there is a lot of work going on to try and prepare women, um, even from girls, that relate to menstrual health, but also related to menopause. And in fact, just this week, we heard that the um, school curriculum is going to include information on menopause in England, and hopefully that will happen in Scotland too. Because when, whenever I write about menopause, menopause in particular, I, you know, I'm inundated with letters of women who've been really sort of struggling. They've been going to the GP repeatedly. They're just getting sort of, you know, brushed away. Um, and they're sort of, you know, they've left with lots of questions and lots of uncertainty and are really sort of desperate. Um, and it's, sort of, it's quite heartbreaking when you read all these letters and you hear from, from, from readers and listeners about the sort of, you know, level of distress they're experiencing and that actually medicine seems to be sort of just routinely letting them down. So I'm really delighted that you're sort of here and you're going to help bust the myth and answer some of these questions. I'll try my best. <laughs> okay. so, so I wanted to start off by asking some general questions that we got about sort of periods and pregnancy. So um, as soon as I can, I'm going to jump straight in with the first question, which is from a reader. I suffer from terrible migraines each month around the time of my period. Sometimes I have to take time off work, they're so bad. Is there anything I can do to prevent them? And what's the best course of action or treatment when they do strike? That's a really good question. And we know that many women are affected and that migraines can be triggered by changes in hormone levels. So in the week um, leading up to and around the period, our own hormone production changes. So the levels fluctuate. And for some women that can be a trigger or migraine. So there are general measures that can be taken related to migraine in general, but when it's specifically thought to be hormonal related, then there are treatments that can level off those fluctuations that are triggering the migraine. So um, there is a form of contraceptive pill which can be taken. The combined contraceptive pill is, is usually not used in women who have migraine, but there is a progestogen only pill which absolutely can be, and it suppresses egg release. So this is all related to our own hormonal cycle, which is important, but I do think we women were very badly designed. And if I'd had a hand in it, I would have not had periods, not had hormones going up and down. But there are ways that we can suppress the ups and downs, and that can treat all sorts of menstrual-related problems, such as migraines, such as premenstrual syndrome. There's a, a lot that the normal menstrual cycle um, accounts for, which can be treated. So is often contraceptive type hormones we can use in certain ways but they can be used even if not needed for contraception and i think we often underuse that we can there are very effective treatments that can give women the option of not having periods and not having problems associated with periods whether or not they also need the contraceptive effect 
Interesting. So, so it's not simply about, you know, just take some paracetamol. It's actually about kind of getting to the underlying cause in this case of what's actually triggering those migraines. And this is, this is slightly different, isn't it? Migraine's different really to headache. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so headaches are quite normal, but migraines are quite specific in that they're often associated with other things such as nausea, vomiting, but also the visual symptoms that can go along with that. Okay, that's really, really useful. So, so again, it's one of those cases, I think, going along to and trying to find a sympathetic GP, presumably, who's kind of got some knowledge or experience in, in managing these, sets of, these types of symptoms. I think, yes, and I think for anything that seems to be related to the hormonal cycle, it's really worth keeping a diary. Because sometimes it's only when you do that that you notice yourself what the triggers are. So often people will have been suffering from premenstrual syndrome, from these headaches or migraines without necessarily connecting it with hormonal changes. But when you can have a clear diary that shows absolute association with a menstrual pattern, then that can be really helpful in focusing on levelling off the hormonal changes. And also, I suppose it, it also helps the doctor as well, kind of see very clearly sorts of patterns. You know, that's as true of lots of areas of medicine. When someone comes in with a diary, it will first, it communicates that things are quite serious, that they're taking it seriously, but also it immediately helps the doctor to be able to sort of ask questions and sort of see patterns that maybe even the patient hasn't been able to see. Definitely. And sometimes there are things like alcohol or food that can trigger certain things and taking all that into account can be really helpful. Okay. The next question, what can I do about severe period pain? I don't find taking ibuprofen does much. Um, the pain is absolutely agonizing. So that's another, um, another challenge of what is supposedly a normal cycle that we have in that having periods themselves can be really troublesome, but not just the bleeding or the amount of bleeding, but the pain around that. So if it's always just related to the period, then Again, another thing I would be doing would be talking through, well, can we offer you something to stop the periods? So if it's the pain is only at period time, and it can be a mixture of things that's causing that pain. So, um, so for example, the, the lining of the womb that's shed during a period produces prostaglandins, so chemicals which interact with pain pathways. And therefore, if you can stop the shedding or stop the buildup of the lining, that can be helpful. I've known quite a lot of women where the pain is actually bowel related and bowel function can be affected by the hormonal cycle. So there are various things that can cause the pain. Another quite a significant um, effect is due to endometriosis. So endometriosis is when you have little bits of the lining of the womb that have deposited themselves outside the womb, stimulated by that normal cycle and again can cause pain. So again, it's getting to look at what what is the underlying cycle doing and what can we do to offer treatment to suppress that while excluding these other possible causes? So there are treatments other than just painkillers. And, and what about these things? Um, I remember my mum used to take methanamic acid and these sort of like, uh, I think these, these are a couple of brand names that are sort of specifically designed for women's periods. Um, is, is that all just a bit of sort of marketing or is there any evidence for it? No, that can be helpful as well. And, and related to anything that affects these chemicals, the prostaglandins, and prevents them being involved with the pain pathways can, can absolutely be helpful. But, but even better than that is actually doing something about the menstrual cycle that's causing the pain and the periods. Yeah, so again, so dealing with the underlying issue here. Yeah. So next question, I'm 42, and after having two children, my periods are very heavy. 
Is there anything I can do about this? I'm unsure about taking the pill as I don't want to put hormones in my body. Is it really the best option? So for me, there was two interesting parts here. There's the kind of issue around sort of taking hormones, which I think lots of people would be wary about for various reasons. But also there's the idea that this has come on, to me, it seemed to me, you know, I'm not a gynecologist, but it seemed to me it's come on quite late. She's in her 40s and she's had two children. And I wondered, is that somehow related? Is kind of, you know, advancing age or having had children, is that related to um, making your periods heavier? Um, or, or is that just a coincidence? So period patterns do change as time goes on. And when we do get into our 40s, then we know that the hormone balance starts to change and that can affect the, can, the effect of the hormones from the ovaries, the effect that they have on the stimulation of the lining of the womb, which is thickened during a normal cycle, preparing for a fertilized egg, preparing for implantation, but in the absence of pregnancy is then shed as the hormone levels go up and down. So the first thing I would say is that that no period is a good period. That might be a bit controversial, but but I think it's something that women have a mindset that we have to have a monthly period and there's something wrong if we don't. There's nothing physiologically normal about having a period. It is really just an effect of, of why we have more periods now than previous generations is we have tend to have less children than they did in the past. We tend to um, perhaps not breastfeed for as long, some in general, and and so we are now burdened with these menstrual cycles and it's not really necessary there isn't to, to have that bleed. So again, if any period can be um, a nuisance in my view, but when it's heavy, it can be absolutely distressing and, and devastating and having a big impact on life. You know, the idea of someone being out and a period starts un, un, unexpectedly and it's very heavy and it soaks through clothing. It's just, it's just horrible. I mean, we shouldn't have to put up with that and we don't have to put up with it. There are lots of treatments. So the first thing I do understand people, some people feeling, well, I don't want hormones unnecessarily. But there is a very simple treatment that is just taken at the time of the period. And it's a non-hormonal treatment. It's tablet form and it can, can readily be prescribed in primary care and it just makes the little blood vessels within the lining of the room less fragile so they don't oh, cool. it's stomach acid right. so it can be very helpful um, then again thinking of trying to minimize hormones then um, there are hormone releasing coils which can sit inside the womb and very effective for reducing periods so there is hormone involved then the hormone is released is concentrated into the womb itself and gradually makes the lining of the room thinner so that there's less bleeding. And then there are, um, you know, I think it's not, it's worth not ruling out the use of hormonal treatments such as the contraceptive pill. And again, as I've explained already, it can be used very effectively for controlling bleeding, for controlling the hormonal fluctuations, even if contraception isn't required. So there are lots of options that can be, that medical options before considering any procedures for heavy periods but the key message is we don't have to put up with periods especially if they're heavy and it's an interesting idea isn't it because i suppose you know certainly at medical school we're taught this is you know it's normal it's a normal physiological thing and i think very much in trying to kind of break down some of the stigma around periods there's been a real sort of move i've noticed in the last couple of years with people being very open talking about periods and lots of books and stuff have been out about it um, but i suppose what you're saying is that 
that actually it's a kind of artifact of our current society and the way that we kind of structure society that actually maybe you know from a evolutionary point of view previous generations wouldn't have necessarily had lots and lots of periods as we do now is that right exactly and you know even taking the contraceptive pill it was designed many years ago the combined contraceptive pill was designed to take it for three weeks and then have a week off and that week off just gives back a period so that's not even a natural period that's a withdrawal bleed so so anyone now who is able to take the combined on all contraceptive pills should be offered to take it all the time so it packs of pills together there is no logic in taking it for the three weeks and then have a week off and it just continues that myth that it's normal to have period and i know i have women known women understandably because that's what they've been brought up to understand is normal thinking well if i don't have a bleed that must be bad where does it go you know what happens to the blood and it's just the bleeding is the shedding of the lining of the womb and it's shed because we take home we either produce hormones in an up and down way or we take hormones for three weeks and then stop but actually taking hormones all the time makes much more sense it actually doesn't matter there's no danger because i think even i think i'm sure even i've heard this at medical school there's a kind of you know otherwise i don't know so just keep building up and there's like more and more and more you know, lining to your womb and actually it's kind some of days, exactly and someday it's going to come out and flood the city and and yeah. absolutely not it's just it's just not it's not a problem to not bleed it's a good thing not to bleed Oh God. So I spend a lot of my life offering offering ways of tweaking hormones, of changing things to, to offer women less periods. Okay, cool. Um, so again, still on the topic of, of periods. So what do you think about period trackers and fertility apps? Are they reliable? We actually quite a few um, quite a few questions about this. Um, because people have been sort of quite uncertain. And I know previously, well, I a, lot, a couple of months ago, I spoke to a sleep specialist um, for one of these podcasts. And they were saying, actually, we're kind of, from sleep specialists aren't that keen on sleep, the sleep apps, because they just make people more preoccupied around their sleep, which actually isn't very good for sleep. Um, but I suppose it's, it, this has become a real, really big trend, isn't it, recently in, in healthcare, it's kind of monitoring all our bodily functions. Um, and actually, I know several of my female friends, they've got these period trackers, and when I was actually one of them a couple of weeks ago, I was asking, and she couldn't even explain why. She was just like, well, I don't know, you're just like, you're supposed to track it, aren't you? <laughs> um, if, if a couple are trying to get pregnant, then it's, it can be more stressful by monitoring it and, and capturing the information. And it can then lead to what I think of as mechanical sex. So, you know, oh, this is the time we've got to have sex tonight. But what if they don't feel like it, you know? And what's, where's that pressure going and what good is that doing? So generally for couples that are trying to get pregnant, the advice that actually the, gen, the national advice is, is not to use these trackers and apps, but really to have sex every two or three days throughout the cycle. Because the other biological thing that's important is that once sperm are produced, they don't tend to die off immediately. They hang around for a few days. So you don't have to have sex the minute the egg is released to try and get pregnant. So better is to enjoy sex and have it when you feel like it and just roughly every two or three days throughout, throughout the cycle. And you know, I'm sure this is completely anecdotal and, and no evidence based at all, but I've actually had several friends who've been trying and they're really obsessive around it. And then the minute they sort of give up, 
that's when they fall pregnant. And I am yeah. shocked because of all the stress and the kind of anxiety that comes with that and with all this kind of, you know, constantly being, you know, monitored and watched and so on and so on. And actually, when you just think, oh, you know, let's just leave this for a bit, that's when you've, you've kind of, you know, the stress hormones reduce and then, then it happens. Yeah, many years ago, um, women were advised to check the temperature every morning. And that was, that was before we had trackers and apps. And that was because there was a temperature change leading up to ovulation. Um, but again, then that was, so, so the first thing every morning, it was the, oh, got to check my temperature. Oh, I'm trying to get pregnant. And, and just more stress was created. And it wasn't an accurate way of telling ovulation anyway. And so that has been discouraged now for many years. Mm -hmm. And it is trying to minimize the stress. Um, there are occasions when, when it might be useful. So if a couple are living apart, so they actually don't have the option of having sex regularly. So there are situations when it may be helpful, but generally not recommended. I am 44 and have completed my family and I don't want to go back on the pill. What are the other good contraceptive options these days? So there are lots of good contraceptive options. Um, we refer to long-acting reversible contraceptives, contraceptives as LARC. And this can be a coil. It can be a non-hormone coil. Um, some of these last up for 10 years. So once they're in place, it's a small procedure to have it put in, but that can be very, very effective and last up to 10 years. Some last less than that time. Um, there are hormone-releasing coils, which... I talked a little bit about early and controlling periods, so they have the added advantage of reducing bleeding and, and not, again, that not wanting hormones. So um, the, the hormone is concentrated in the womb. A little bit of it circulates around the body, but, but a smaller amount. Um, there are Im implant, so an implant lasts for three years. So that, that, again, is something that's in place that you don't have to remember to take every day as you do with the pill. There's also the barrier contraceptives. They still have a place, but, but we do tend to recommend the long-acting reversible contraceptives. There is still the option of sterilization, both male and female, but these do require a procedure and are irreversible. And, and, and so other than pills, there are a, lot, a whole range of very, very effective options. And what about, so can I ask you about the, the, you know, the IUD, the coil? Um, and the risk of things like ectopic pregnancies. So is, it, is, is that a real risk or is it actually been overblown, do you think? So that has been discussed in the past and often has been a deterrent to using it. So the, the cop, which is known as a copper coil, the non-hormonal one, the intrauterine contraceptive device, is very good at preventing implantation, preventing pregnancy in the womb but it's not so good at preventing ectopic pregnancy. That isn't the same as meaning it causes ectopic pregnancy. It's just, and it doesn't mean that it's more likely to be associated with ectopic pregnancy, but if there is a pregnancy, and if it was going to be an ectopic, it's not going to be prevented by a coil in the uterus. Whereas if a contraceptive pill is used, it's preventing when taken appropriately it's preventing all types of pregnancy because it's suppressing the egg release so that's where the association has come from but it's not that it actually causes it it's just not good at preventing it god that's that's really really important that's a really key point i think because um i'm certainly you know from my knowledge of this that was that was always one of the things you had to kind of warn people about you had to be a little mindful of it 
Um, and, you know, in sure, you know, when I did surgery many years ago, um, even if people kind of said, oh, there's no way I could be pregnant because I've got the coil, um, you would still always, always, always have to do a pregnancy test and people always very yeah. concerned about it. Because in my mind, it had always been, I think with lots of women as well, it had always been this association gets confused between a causation. So that yeah. people then assume it's causing it. It's not. It's just it tends to be associated with it. That's really interesting. That's all we've got time for today, but come back next week for part two. In the meantime, if you want more from Heather, you can look at menopausematters.co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.